welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I'm the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how's your week been treating you? It's awesome. My kid just won the Little League Championship in his league. I'm in a great mood. <laughs> Congratulations to him. It's... <laughs> It's a great time of year for uh, for high stakes baseball. Apparently, I mean, yeah, been, fall ball is happening at all levels, right? MLB yeah, level, but... <laughs> little league levels. It's good. Yeah, I have been eating up the playoffs this year. I mean, a bit unfortunate from from more of a neutral observer's standpoint that the four teams in it are the four teams in it. Nothing, nothing aggressively against the Braves or anything like that, but. Uh, yeah, the other the other teams that that were remaining as our final four, maybe not the most exciting, maybe not the most uh, rootable, but still some really really fun baseball being played. How I mean, I mean, just last night we had the American League Championship Series wrapping up, Houston moving on to the World Series again. I'm sure some people are going to be real thrilled about that one. Um, but I, I think to me the biggest standout from that series, and I think to everyone, I mean, he was the the MVP of that series, Jordan Alvarez. I mean. I don't want to get too just <laughs> talk about baseball blindly here, but man, that guy is is something else. He's the American League's Juan Soto. I've decided. Yeah, bat only, obviously, because he yeah. doesn't doesn't field a position. He's a DH only. But man, what a bat! Absolutely, and that makes up for whatever lack of defense he has uh, and bad knees. Um, but I just wanted to make the point, you know, of the final four. You know, the, the GM tree is worth noting. You have Andrew Friedman and three guys who used to work for Andrew Friedman, basically, as, as leading up baseball ops across the board. So it's all Rays all the time, basically, with that whole but, model. But, John, I thought when the Rays were eliminated, that meant the analytics <laughs> lost. Right, right, right. I forgot about that point. Yeah, no. <laughs> No, I mean, we're still seeing dumb tweets about, oh, analytics lost like that. But no, the, all, all the ones that are, you know, survivors basically are the ones using it smartly. And even the ones in the even in the level below that. So um, there's no getting away from it, folks. It is what it is. Yep, that's that's how baseball works now. That's the most efficient way to run a team. And until mm-hmm. anything drastically changes in the CBA or with the game itself, that's how it's going to be. And I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already pretty on board with that, presumably. <laughs> so we're preaching to the choir a little bit here. But yeah, it's been it's been something to see all those all those tweets from A Rod that just don't don't make any sense. Did you see his whole pitching the contact? Yeah, show? right. Thanks, A Rod. Yeah, so he's out here saying that pitching the contact is, is the best thing you could do, but then he also says that contact hitting is better than striking out, so which one is it? It's a, it's a zero-sum game, eh, Rod? Is is hitting for contact better, or is pitching the contact <laughs> better? What, which one? What? <laughs> yeah. No. <sighs> uh, yeah, no, don't get me started on eh, Rod. Yeah, that, this, this will not turn into an eh, Rod podcast. I, I, I do will say... I, oh, go ahead. I, I, just one quick point. I will say, I don't want to go into a rant about TV announcers and how old school they are and how boring they are, but man, I just wish we could get you know a younger, more sort of with it voice and approach to TV broadcasts. It would totally transform the experience instead of just old guys reminiscing and not knowing anything about analytics and then putting up batting average numbers and that's it. I mean, it's just, come on. TV industry, get yeah. me the time. <laughs> I will say I've been uh, I've been doing a lot of not long drives or anything, but I, I had some family in town. They were staying like 40 minutes away, so I've been having a lot of driving back and forth this last week or so. 
And so I've been catching, you know, a few innings of each game on ESPN Radio. And they're doing a pretty solid job of it. I mean, not perfect, but they... I, I'm digging what they're doing over there. That's that's Eduardo Perez. Um, shoot, I'm blanking on who's uh, who's the main uh, play-by-play guy for them. But I, I've been enjoying them. They've been much <laughs> very refreshing compared to the TV broadcasts and, and kind of the point you were making there. Well, okay, so there's hope. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I do want to just mention the Boston Red Sox now that they've been eliminated. Um, it seemed like there was a bit of a theme this year of, of teams kind of jumping into the race a year early. Um, obviously saw it with the Giants and, and then the Red Sox there. And, and you could argue for a couple other teams, the Mariners, that, that didn't make the playoffs, but they were really making noise a year or two before people thought they would there. And I think the Red Sox are pretty well positioned going forward. They have a pretty strong major league nucleus. Obviously the payroll is getting up there. There's questions about what they're going to do with JD Martinez this off season. They kind of need an entire pitching staff. They don't really have too much going on there beyond uh, Nady Evaldi and Tanner Houck. Uh, but they, they have a lot of good stuff going on. They have some big prospects that really haven't done anything yet. Jaron Duran and uh, Tristan Cassis and Jeter Downs. These guys are all going to be making, a lot more noise next season than they were able to this year. And I, I think just kudos to Heim Bloom. I mean, you can you can look at the Mookie Betts trade however you want. And I think there's some rightful criticism there just on the, you know, it's one of the biggest franchises in baseball history, one of the biggest payrolls in sports. And they couldn't keep one of the best players in team history, one of the best players in the game. They didn't want to break the bank for him. That, that kind of speaks to MLB's larger issues in a sense. But beyond that, you know, if they if they already decided they were going to trade him, I think Bloom did a good job, and I think it, it's kind of showing. Alex Verdugo was a big contributor to this playoff run and will be for a few more years. And then that's not even to talk about Jeter Downs yet, and they got out from David Price's contract. And so just hat tip to him, to that whole organization. I think they're going to be a threat. The AL East is turning into a dogfight again, and I think that's really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Evan Drellich wrote a really good piece in The Athletic about uh, the, t- the subtitle was The Hunt for Surplus Value, funny enough. And, uh, and Hein Bloom basically referred to that, and that is his whole strategy. So um, we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit by saying, you know, because our site is all about surplus value, right? And the new school analytics guys, and the, you know, the, the new guys who are running baseball ops are very much like that. And so he's showing you what you can do with that, you know? And, and the article made a, a point about contrasting his predecessor, Dave Dombrowski, who basically paid retail and then some for star players, and Hein Bloom, who play, pays wholesale for value players. Like, you know, he picks up Kike Hernandez and he picks up Hunter Renfro and he fills holes with guys who are cheaper but have upside. And part of that is because he appreciates also sort of the hidden value of opportunity cost. You know, one of the reasons to trade Mookie Betts was because they didn't want to tie up so much money in one player, which would then limit you in what you can do filling the other slots, right? So if you have more flexibility, I know there were jokes made about financial flexibility and people put that on t-shirts as a joke, but it's actually a real thing because you can actually build, because baseball is a 26 man roster. It's not one guy, right? You, You actually build a more complete roster with, you know, um, if you've got more wiggle room to do so, and that's what he's done. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Also, I pull it up, and that uh, ESPN broadcast team that I've been digging is Dan Schulman and Eduardo Perez. So, props to them. 
give them yeah. a, give them a listen if you've been although I, I believe it's a different broadcast team for the NLCS but uh, I, I think they'll be back on in the World Series give them a listen if you're getting tired of the TV folks all right so kind of a bit of a playoff wrap there I mean we have game six uh, as of recording game six tonight between the Braves and Dodgers and that series has certainly not quite gone as, as most of us expected the Do- the Dodgers are just a team that's been known for incredible star power and incredible depth and now that depth is really being tested their pitching is just pretty pretty demolished by the rest of the playoff structure the wild card game the five game series with the Giants and, and some questionable decisions in there but they've still managed to make it a good series they've they've been fighting back it's three to two Atlanta now so gonna have our eyes peeled on that one and and within the next couple of days we'll have our World Series field set and we'll be getting into that so looking forward to that for sure all I'm right still, I'm still alive last week you you tested me what was my um, my pick was the Dodgers to win it all ah. what was yours <clears throat> oh my bracket was yeah destroyed it was ah. it was something special I went like 0 for 4 on on division okay. series picks okay. <laughs> I, I, no I went one for four I went one for four the Dodgers saved me but uh I had the White Sox beating the Astros. I had the Rays beating oh, the right. Red Sox. Right. I had the Brewers beating the Braves. I had the Rays and the Brewers in the World Series. We don't we don't need to talk about okay, it. Okay, fine. That. <laughs> <laughs> I I underestimated how bad Milwaukee's offense could truly be, but I digress. Uh, let's let's head into the actual meat and potatoes of this episode. Let's start out with some of the news. We have some more updates on these front office uh, front office shuffling uh, between a couple of these teams so so the biggest story off the field i say outside of the world series and and playoff race and everything the biggest story these last couple weeks has been the mets front office situation they need a new manager they need a new president of baseball ops to really run the show there and so far they've made almost no progress uh we talked before about uh theo epstein not uh not being a fit for them and in him declining to interview even i believe it was uh then we talked about how david stearns and billy bean were the next two candidates well in the two weeks since then david stearns pulled his or the brewers did not allow the mets to interview david stearns which pretty obvious there he's doing a great job in milwaukee why would they want to just hand him off to a competitor and then reportedly the a's did allow billy bean to be interviewed but Bean himself withdrew his name from the Mets job, um, essentially citing his family and that he didn't want to force his, his children to move across the country to uh, to feed his own ambitions. So now they've missed out on their top three targets. There has been some buzz that Brian Sabian, who used to run the Giants before Farhan Zaidi and who took them to their three titles in the 2010s, uh, that he's interested in the job, and so who knows if that interest is mutual or what happens there. There's been a couple other smaller names floated as well, but um, it, it's looking like this this has kind of gone almost exactly as we predicted, that they shot high for the three big fish, but the three big fish are big fish for a reason. It's because they're good at what they do, and they're, they, they, they were long shots from the beginning, and none of them ended up working out. Yeah, well, all right. So there's a PR hit. Uh, here because they're now looking embarrassed because they can't get anybody to fill the job even though mm-hmm. on paper you would think it'd be a good job and billy bean said as much said oh yeah we'd love you know, anybody would would benefit from working under sandy and sandy alderson steve going you know he's being he's being mr nice guy of course but you know mm-hmm. there's probably some truth to that um 
but you know there are all sorts of other you know there's like i said before there's just no candidates that are available so the top tier was unrealistic so they're they've kind of okay and publicly sort of now look like i don't want to say foolish but uh at least they tried um so now they're going with their their sort of settle for candidate list you know and they're still putting that together I think the Brian Sabian thing was basically him saying, hey, guys, I'm available if you want me. And I don't know if they do because <laughs> he's he's got an old school reputation, which is sort of out of step with the times these days, uh, which is why he's no longer in San Francisco, because uh, he overspent and underdelivered, basically, which is the opposite of what you what you want in a you know, baseball ops head these days. And you also want to build, you know, a cutting edge analytics department with, you know, development and people with stat cast and all these sorts of things um like an old school guy is not going to know how to do that so unless he hires somebody underneath him who does maybe okay you can fly with that but basically they need to look at the next level down you know maybe matt arnold who works under david stearns milwaukee could be a fit josh burns in la has been bandied about i did see yeah i did see his name floated a lot since you mentioned him on the last uh, last episode <clears throat> yeah so now they're probably looking at those guys and trying to see if they can talk to them because at least a current gm um it's not a lateral move if they were upgraded to president of baseball ops in new york then that would be seen as promotion and that would mm-hmm. be something that typically it, you know teams allow them to interview for because they don't typically want to you know, stifle a guy's career. So, is there a rule that they can't block that? I think there, I think there might be, that that you can't block a an interview for a for basically a promotion. I don't know if there's a hard and fast rule, but I certainly know it's it's ungentlemanly. There's at least an unspoken, ungentlemanly, yeah. if you will, to deny unwritten that rule. Person. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that's where they're gonna find somebody. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it's. This is a bit of an aside. Uh, it's, it's a bit outside of our scope, but the manager search as well. I, I've heard almost nothing on the Mets front there. Obviously, the Padres need a new manager. The Cardinals. Does it seem to you? And I could be off base here. This could just be how it's always been. But does it seem to you like the names being floated around for those are just old? Like, like not just that they're old, but it's that. There's no new names. It feels like the last couple times we had a bunch of managerial spots opening up, and at least there were some of the candidates there were exciting newer names. You know, you had Carlos Beltran getting hired. That was kind of fun, and and I'm pretty sure Eduardo Perez was in in contention for some managerial. Am I making that part up? Yeah, um, no, he no he was he was he was in contention yeah. for the Mets job. Um, yeah, I, I felt felt like the last couple times we've had these openings, there have been more variety and then this year it's okay well mike schilt might interview in san diego and mike Sosha is interesting <laughs> in san diego and the a's wanted bob melvin or the, excuse me the mets wanted bob melvin and at least the cardinals it seems like their top candidates as of now are internal guys who haven't gotten the gig before and are potentially getting a, a fresh start at it but otherwise it seems like we're kind of just shuffling around the same old guard just like you know how in the nba that's been the norm for a while it's always yep. like the same guys just being round it's just like a, a merry-go-round of the same names <laughs> every time there's an opening you know so um yeah i always wondered about why that is in the nba like why can't you get a fresh fresh face and every once in a while one breaks through um but yeah the norm has been in baseball to try is has been to try the fresh fresh face but 
Um, like in San Diego, you know, the thinking might be that, okay, the fresh faces haven't worked, so maybe we do need a Buck Walter or a Mike Show. Um, you know, Dusty Baker is showing what he can do in Houston, yeah. so that's starting to get raised in my eyebrows. Like, oh, maybe the old guys still can, can make somebody something happen here. And, I mean, Tony La Russa just did so well in Chicago. Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> I can't oh, tell. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thick layer of it. <laughs> I mean, basically, he did the same job as his predecessor and got the same result. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just so. with a, a lot more drama along the way. No, but having said that, I mean, Gabe Kapler, there were there were people who um, didn't like the hire when he, when, when he got the Giants job. And look what he's done. And what, mm-hmm. you know, you could argue what they're doing is just so perfectly in sync with the front office and you know they're working on matchups and, and you're using analytics in every single game and he's very much a new school guy and it's working mm-hmm. and so i think that's you know i think that's still going to be like the standard mm-hmm. and there were some great articles written as well about just kind of their entire approach to coaching and how they have just one of the larger coaching staffs in the league and they they divide the work between people they know that one hitting coach isn't going to be the best right voice for all 26 guys on the roster plus all the minor leaguers that make their way up plus so on and so forth like they know exactly. that it's, it's got to be a team approach and they've they've done a good job of getting a lot of diverse voices i was just going to make that they've got women doing, you know they're in, in prominent positions which is fantastic they've got like roles that other teams don't have that in terms of development maybe it's just a name only i haven't studied it too closely but you get the sense that they're like doing innovative things and that's what everybody mm-hmm. wants yeah, but it, it, it's weird to me that it seems like teams like the Padres are, like you say, that's what everybody wants, and it seems like they're bumping in the other direction. And then that kind of ties back, I think, to the, the the baseball ops GM searches for some of these teams. Like, it, it seems, again, like just a lot of these similar names being thrown around. And I think, I think this is a very specific case here with the Mets, where they because they're in such a high profile spot in the media in New York and because they swung so hard last off season and, and missed badly. Um, I think they felt a lot of that outside pressure that they needed to get a guy with big name recognition and, and they couldn't shoot a little lower. Like the next name we're going to talk about just very briefly is the Cubs naming Carter Hawkins, general manager. That kind of name is not going to fly in New York. That's, yeah. that's not a guy that's, that's a guy that's going to get roasted and, not, not that he's going to get roasted in the press, but that the team's going to get roasted in the press for for hiring this random 37-year-old nobody's ever heard of as their to, to run their organization with so much pressure on it. So I think I think that's probably playing a bigger role here. Yeah, it's not the... so much that they they feel like they only need um, for baseball reasons that they only need one of these old guard types, but more for just the unique situation that they're in. Yeah, and that's a shame because they shouldn't let PR considerations dictate. Yeah. You know, they should just make the best hire they can, you know, for somebody who's really competent and, you know, will get the job done well and then go from there. Uh, but I did want to say time is running out. The clock is ticking. We've got all mm-hmm. sorts of front office things coming up. We've got winter meetings. We've got Rule 5. We've got non-tender deadlines, all sorts of things that would need to be done. And Sandy and his son, Bren, and one other person are basically running the show you know, without really much else help, without any other help. So it's uh, it's not a good situation there in New York. Nope. I'm expecting some sort of resolution <clears throat> within, a, within a week or so of the World Series, if I had to guess. 
uh, of the end of the World Series. Uh, they they cannot sit on this all off season again. Yeah. Because that's how they end up in a spot like they did last off season, where Sandy has to run the show and hires a couple of not so uh, yeah. Yeah. not so upstanding men to uh, <laughs> yeah. to work underneath him. So uh, and they they do not want that again. So I, I figure we'll be hearing something within the next few weeks. All right, and then just as I mentioned briefly within there, the Cubs did name Carter Hawkins their general, their general manager. Um, we neither of us know too much about him, but he was with Cleveland for a long time and has a decent reputation within the game, just not a name that's super well known. So that will be something to keep an eye on. They're going, they're in a, an interesting spot of their rebuild, mm-hmm. where they could just, uh, you know, they could just kind of stand pat with what they got and and let their talent develop they could continue the rebuild you know they got kyle hendricks there wilson Contreras, handful of other names that they could decide to move on from ian happ uh but they could also just ride those guys out so who knows could be a fun off season for them and uh, especially a fun first off season for uh, carter hawkins yeah and they've really done a good job um making trades you know they just mm-hmm. ripped the band-aid off and went for it and i think that's great and now their their farm system has really climbed up and it's in the top 10 now you know, with all the talent they got. So um, so they're doing, they may get back to contention sooner than people think. Mm-hmm. Although a lot of their talent is on the younger side. Well, that's true. So I would maybe argue that it is in their best interest to sell off those last few pieces either. I, I'd say Wilson Contreras in the off season, teams are more apt to trade for a catcher in the off season where they can give them all of spring training to learn the staff. Um, but then they can make their call on Hendricks, Hap, these other guys either this offseason or deadline, whatever. Yeah. Can we just take a moment here to pat ourselves on the back about Craig Kimbrell as well? Because he fell oh, apart, yes. and the Cubs got a haul for him. We thought that was an extreme overpay, and we are looking like we're right now. <laughs> so... And I mean... <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I mean, we're not going to go as far as to say, you know, revisionist history. Yeah, we had it 100% nailed it from, from minute one. We, we went pretty in-depth in our deadline episode and in our articles Mm -hmm. about why exactly that one was so far off on our values. And it was a combination of things, you know, we might've been a little bit low on Kimbrel and a little bit high on, or yeah, a little bit low on Kimbrel, a little bit high on Cody Hoyer, a little bit high on Nick Madrigal, those sorts of things. But we kind of came to this conclusion that, yeah, even if we were off in all of these areas by this amount, there's still a pretty big gap here that, that needs yeah. to be covered and we're still pretty confident saying it's an overpay. And I still stand by that Absolutely. 100% and it even looks better now. And there was a Bob Nightingale report that the uh, White Sox plan to exercise Kimbrell's team option and look to trade him in the offseason. And since that came from Nightingale, you know what it actually means is that the White Sox plan on extending Craig Kimbrell for the next <laughs> seven, eight years, something like that. Um but if that is true, I mean, that just kind of shows it didn't go how they expected either. They, they're they kind of feeling it a little bit right now, too. Um, and that's that's the inherent risk with any reliever, but especially a reliever whose recent run of dominance was only really a few months. I mean, before that, he looked as lost as anyone ever has. So. Yeah, and we have to weigh all of those things, right? So that's what our model does. And it says, well, you know, you got to watch out because he may turn into a pumpkin again. And oh, geez, look what happened. He turned back into a pumpkin. Yeah, and that, that's just a, a case study in why relievers are the most difficult player for us to value and why, you know, maybe maybe cut us a little bit of slack when it comes to, <laughs> to reliever values because nobody really knows what's going on there. I mean, 
at the deadline, there were so many people in our mentions telling us that, oh, we just had Kimbrell too low. He's the best available reliever, and, and you can't quantify how important that is to a playoff team. Well, look what he just did. Like, that that was always an inherent risk that a lot of people were just flat-out ignoring because, oh, his name is Craig Kimbrell, and he's been so good this year. And, you know, you have to bake that in, but, like, how often does that type of an explosive second half, how, how often does that happen with a guy like Kimbrell? How many, we don't really have many case studies there, many examples there to kind of go off of. There's not a lot, of, not a huge data set of relievers as talented with the track record of Kimbrell, but then also with the roller coaster last few seasons of Kimbrell and at his age and, and all these other factors, there's not a huge data set there. So we're kind of just working with what we got and the, the machine spits out a number and we say, okay, that looks reasonable to us and maybe some slight manual tweaks here and there but kind of just doing what we can do there and and hoping yeah the relievers work out the way that they should yep and for the most part they do they do follow a bell curve as we've talked Mm -hmm. about before so i think we're fine on the whole yeah yeah all right then one last bit of sort of news here uh mlb trade rumors uh the team over there matt swartz uh in particular, they released their arbitration projections for the 2022 offseason, 2021 to 2022 offseason here. Um, and so full-on list of all of the arbitration-eligible players and what they, what MLB Trade Rumors projects them to earn. This year, it's a whole lot simpler. If you guys will recall, uh, because of the shortened, nat- uh, the shortened nature of the 2020 season uh, in this article in this uh, MLB Trade Rumors projection article, they actually provided us with three numbers last year because they weren't exactly sure how the arbitration system and how teams were going to value the statistics produced within the 2020 season because it was only 60 games. Well, now we are back up to 162 games. We're back to normal. And we only have one number to deal with for all these guys. So thank goodness for that. Saves saves us a little bit of worry there. Um, but yeah, we have all these all these names. And uh, I believe there was one that uh, John pointed out that stood out to him among them. Yeah, so Pete Alonzo is an interesting case uh, because, you know, our our model looks at, um, you know, overall sort of value produced, right? And so we estimate for pre-arb guys, well, what are their arbitration years going to look like? And so we look based on sort of the, the more advanced metrics that front offices typically use, those are the ones we look at as well, which is why we align well. Uh, but sometimes it can be off from an arbitration estimate point of view. And Pete Alonso is okay. So his value, his 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 number, basically 25% of market value is kind of rule of thumb for the first year, um, was lower. But he came in at um, – uh, hat tip to Matt Swartz, by the way, does a great job, because he understands how the arbitration system works in detail. So he came in at $7.3 million, which sets him up for – future raises in his second and third arbitration years. So now you start to do the math. He's going to be 7.3 this year. He's going to be in the 11s in year two, and he's going to be in 16, 17, 18 in year three. And that gets real expensive, right? So as a result, his surplus value number goes down. So he went from the 30s to the to the high teens. I think we're at 17.7 now because that salary number came in high. And the reason it came in high is because he's a home run you know, hitting machine, right? And arbitration is very old school dominated. They look at the home run number and they go, oh, this guy hits as many home runs as that guy did back then. So therefore he gets a big raise. Even though in his overall game, 
you know, he's he's not great defensively. He's kind of a first base DH type. Uh, he had a bad 2020. You know, all these other things sort of weigh down his value. But an arbitration is going to reward him for the home runs, basically. So it's going to skew yeah. things a little bit, which means his surplus value number went down. And that's it's going to surprise people. Mm-hmm. And I meant to mention that uh, none of these numbers should be changed too drastically. We have our own estimates. It's, it's a much more basic system than, uh, than Matt is uh, implementing for all of these players. But we have our own estimates based on the player's calculated value, calculated uh, on-field value. Uh, that kind of spits out a number that's usually fairly close to the arbitration estimates um, for what each player will be making in each year. And that's kind of how we make our longer term uh, evaluations of players, trade values. Um, but obviously, like you mentioned, arbitration looks toward a lot more traditional stats that aren't directly reflected in some of our values. Our, our trade values do not care how many RBI a player had or how many runs they scored or how many bases they stole, anything like that. So those are numbers that are, are reflected in the arbitration process. And so Matt's numbers are much more accurate than our kind of back of the napkin type <laughs> type estimates. Um, and so there shouldn't be any drastic changes, but there will be some. Alonzo was one of them. And we will likely, within the next few weeks or so, as we start to get into the off season, uh, we will have an article up kind of detailing some of the non-tender candidates, some of the guys who were farther off from our initial estimates whose value changed the most. Uh, so yeah, keep an eye out for that. Yep, that's next up. And also, you know, one thing to make a small note of, but when we do our non-tenders, it's from a surplus value point of view. That doesn't necessarily mean they will be non-tender because they may have some field value that makes some sense for the team to keep. They may be under the line a little bit, but they might want to keep it because they feel a positional need and they can swallow that that gap. But for the mm-hmm. most part, we're going to look and say, hey, on paper, these are going to be the non-tenders. And we're generally pretty on on point i should mention also you're seeing a lot of if you read mlb trade rumors and other sites that cover transactions you'll see a lot of dfas Um, they're starting to roll out because they have to um a lot of teams have to move some guys who have been on the 60-day il and such back onto the 40-man roster so they have to clean out some roster churn a little bit and so you're seeing Mm -hmm. some dfas we keep track of all the dfas as well and that's to keep us ourselves honest, because if we see that somebody was DFA'd that we thought had, had significant value, then it may, it's sort of a wake-up call to say, oh, no, something's wrong. But no, <clears throat> every time there's a DFA, we, you know, we log it and check it. It's always either zero or negative or somewhere very close to zero. Our model has been very, very good on the bottom of the market there. So a lot of these DFAs um, are not surprising to us at all. Uh, I know there was one the other day, Shedlong from the Mariners. We had him at 0.2 so there was not you know that was not a surprise um so you're going to see a lot of those and so my point is the non-tenders kind of will follow along those lines as well yeah and to that point you know every every negative surplus value is not is not made the same um there's different ways to get there and different types of players who do get there and so this is just i was just scrolling through the arbitration estimates to try and find a decent example here i don't have the trade values pulled up for either of these guys but just kind of Eyeballing it right here, the Nationals have Ryan Harper, who's set to make 800,000, and Tanner Rainey, who's also set to make 800,000. Well, Tanner Rainey throws 100 and is younger than Ryan Harper, and so even if both of those guys were negative surplus, you could see an argument where, you know, it's only 800k. If, if Tanner Rainey's at negative 0.2 in trade value, whatever, we'll take a chance on him. We don't have much in the payroll anyway, and we think he has higher upside beyond that, whereas Ryan Harper, one of those, like, 
veteran journeyman types, he's probably not as likely to get the benefit of the doubt there if he is under surplus. So every every one of these situations is a little bit case by case, but uh, when we're looking at it, it is just purely from that, you know, yep. surplus value. Are you under value? Yeah. Uh, are you under under zero perspective? Right. Exactly. All right. That is all of the news for this week. And let's head on to a fun segment. It, it has been, I've seen it as a, as a bit of a fan favorite segment. It's one of my favorite types of segment that we get to do. And that's where we rip someone to shreds for a silly article they wrote. Um, in this case, it, it's one of our favorites to rip to shreds for a silly article that he writes. And it's Jim Bowden, uh, former general manager, now writer for The Athletic. And it seems like he's just falling farther and farther off the deep end with, with some of the things that he says. And I mean, hey, all the respect in the world to him. He's a decent writer. He's He obviously has a, a much more illustrious Major League Baseball career than either John or I did. So so he, he's, he did something right for a while, apparently. But there also, you know, there is a reason he isn't still in the front office. And it's because he wasn't really with the times. And and that comes, that comes out in his writing sometimes. So he had an article about... You know, it's titled, The Yankees Need Major Change. Here are five off-season moves that could aim them in the right direction. Okay, I don't I don't have any issue there so far. I mean, yeah, the, the, we, we talked a lot about uh, the Yankees in our last episode, and it, they, they, they need to make some moves here. They need to get aggressive. And so his first two are pretty general moves here. Promote Brian, uh, GM Brian Cashman to president of baseball operations and allow him to hire a general manager who would report, lead, uh, report directly to him. I have no issue with that. Then owner Hal Steinbrenner must do something he doesn't like to do and play checkbook baseball in this year's free agent class and target center fielder Starling Marte, shortstop Corey Seager, and starting pitchers Justin Verlander and this year's Cy Young Award frontrunner Robbie Ray. And I mean, that's ambitious, and we talked a lot on last week's episode, and we'll probably get into a little bit later in this one, why that might not be the most realistic thing. It would take them to blow way past the luxury tax. Um, that That's just not going to be easy for any team to stomach these days. But I mean, I can, I don't have any issues with the sentiment there. I'm and with we get you so far. Trades. Yep. Yeah. We were, we were with you, Jim. We were with you, Jim. And and then we get into these trades. So I'm just going to read through them in order. <laughs> this, this first one. Trade first baseman Luke Voigt, second baseman Glaber Torres, and right-handed pitcher Domingo Herman to the Oakland Athletics for first baseman Matt Olson. So really in this one and in the next trade that I'll be reading off, Jim is taking a page out of the Yankee fan playbook of trade our team's trash for another team's treasure. And what he's <laughs> he's proposing here is, you know that first baseman who was really good in a 60-game season but then disappointed in 2021? And you know that second baseman who was just abysmal these last couple years and can't play shortstop anymore? And you know that right-handed pitcher who didn't really pitch all that well and had a pretty significant off-field issue and, and he's into his arb- all three of these guys are into their arbitration years. Yeah, I think the A's are going to want all three of those guys for their best player. <laughs> One of the best first basemen in baseball. <laughs> when you put it that way, it doesn't it doesn't really sound as good as it might have sounded in Jim's head. So so the values here as you expect big gap. Uh, we got Herman at 11.6 Torres at 9.7, Void at 3.1, so that's 24.4 million in surplus heading to Oakland in exchange for Olsen's 45.3. There's no defending this one. 
is there? <laughs> no. And well, first of all, he has no idea what Oakland's strategy is because yep. he probably doesn't follow them too closely. So he's just assuming they would want Void Torres and Herman, um, which is, I think, uh, you know, error number one. Error number two is his common thread. He has no sense of how to value players. And error number three is he's making the mistake all fans do, which is trash for treasure. It's just not realistic at all. And I mean, so the, the sentences he writes about the A's perspective here. Oakland would control all three of its acquired players for three more years for a lot less money than Olsen, who's controllable for only two more seasons. The A's should be able to continue to contend, as I expect both Torres and Voigt will have bounce back years. There's a lot of issues within just those couple sentences here. I'm, I'm pulling it up so I can do some, some quick mental math right here. So we got Luke Voigt projected for $5.4 million in arbitration. Labor Torres at 5.9, so that's adding up to 11.3. Domingo Herman at 2.1, that'll be 13.4 million. All right, let's see how much Olsen is projected to make. 12 million. Do you see so... the issue? <laughs> Do you see the issue, Jim? <laughs> okay, well, let's pretend. Let's play role play. So maybe I'm Jim. All right, so, but, but, Josh. These guys will replace other guys you're losing. So Torres comes in at second base. Now you don't have to pay Tony Kemp. Or, you know, maybe you can get rid of him. And maybe if you put Herman in the rotation, maybe you can trade Manaya. So maybe you can save money that way. Okay, then what about your next sentence, fake Jim? <laughs> uh, the A's should be able to content, to continue to contend. Where Where's the solution there if they're just shoveling, oh. <laughs> shuffling around rotation pieces and, oh. and also downgrading from a breakout season from Tony Kemp <laughs> to whatever Glaber Torres has left in the, in the tank. Anyway, yeah, the next okay. significant issue with these sentences is I expect both Torres and Voigt will have bounce back years. There's you nothing expect. wrong with, <laughs> yes, exactly. There's nothing wrong with that opinion. And honestly, I'm, I'm in agreement. I don't, I don't think Torres or Voigt are bad baseball players. I think Voigt is a very good hitter and had a bit of an off year with some injuries in 2021. I think he's got more in the tank. And I think Torres, you know, there's a reason he was a top prospect. There's a reason he's shown himself to be a very talented player in New York. He's He's got more in him as well. I, I agree. They'll probably both have bounce back years. But what word did I just use, John? I used the word probably. And that's the thing you can't count on these guys having bounce back years if they do bounce back then yeah this is a pretty even deal you get the yankees get a superstar first baseman the a's get a slightly worse first baseman you know voight isn't as good of a hitter or a fielder as olsen but he's not when he's when he's on he's not a bad first baseman by any means they get a pretty solid middle infielder glaber torres who yeah he can't play shortstop anymore but They've had a problem at second base in Oakland for a while now. Maybe he fills that gap. He hits for power, sure. And then Domingo Harmon, even if he's a back-end starter, those have some value. So, yeah, if that happens, it's fair. But there's so many scenarios where that doesn't happen. You need Torres and Voigt to bounce back, and that's the issue here. No team is going to trade a superstar in a deal that only makes sense for them if the players coming back hit their like 80th percentile outcomes, 90th percentile outcomes. That's just not how it works. Right. Even if a team truly, if the A's truly do believe that Torres and Voigt are going to bounce back and be stars again, like that's, there are so many other teams that don't believe that, that that's not going to be the market rate for those guys. Yeah. The and... market rate is set on their 
median expectation for the next season, not what one team thinks of them. Exactly. Yeah, you, you're not going to, you know, trade away your best trade asset um, for guys who, you know, maybe if all things break correctly on a wing and a prayer, you know, you might get some sort of close value back. That's just not how it works. You have to be rational, and these days, all the front offices are rational. Yes, even even the Rockies are rational sometimes, um, and and definitely the Billy Bean David Forrest front office is rational. They're not going to fall for that one one iota. So uh, and keep in mind, if they're shopping Olson, they're getting lots of other offers for guys that probably make more sense for them than these than these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so I mean, this is very clearly nowhere near fair. But I can at least see what's going on in Jim's mind here. I can see that he has more of a national perspective. He's not as much with the times. He's overinflating some Yankees because that's what generally happens in the media. The Yankees players and prospects get a little more shine than other teams. That just happens. They're the biggest team in baseball. And he's you know, kind of laying down on the tropes of, oh, Oakland needs to save money, and they just find ways to contend without their stars, and they always trade their stars anyway. And so I at least see the rationale. It, it, I don't agree with it by any means, but I mean, it, you can see how he got to this this trade, right? Yeah, he watched Moneyball, and, and Olsen yeah. is Giambi, and Boyd's is Scott Hatterberg. Okay, it makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, I can see the rationale. It, it's silly, but I can see it. Then we get to this next one. Trade outfielder Clint Frazier and third baseman Miguel Andujar. We, we already got an issue here, and the issue is third baseman Miguel Andujar, but we'll, we'll continue. <laughs> to the Miami Marlins in exchange for right-handed starting pitcher Pablo Lopez, if his medicals are cleared. So, Jim, <laughs> are you aware that Clint Frazier and Miguel Andujar are bad at baseball? Um... Are you aware that they are in their first year of arbitration? Are you aware that Pablo Lopez is really good at baseball? Uh, and not in arbitration, I'm pretty sure. Uh, oh, he, he is also in his first year. Okay. And um, Clint Frazier may never play again because he's got vision and concussion issues and didn't play at all this year or very little. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that Miguel Anandohar has no position and hasn't has has been a negative war player for the past three years if he's played at all. And that the Marlins already have two first base DH types that they like in Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar. And that uh, Andujar is out of options. And the last thing the Marlins <laughs> need is yet another player like <laughs> Lewis Brinson, who was a failed prospect, who was out of options. Magnus Sierra. And <laughs> they got a couple other guys there, too. Oh, boy. I don't know. And the, the, like, the part on this one that just floors me is... That last little bit, the in exchange for right-handed starting pitcher Pablo Lopez, if his medicals are cleared, not a word in this little blurb about Frazier's medicals, just if the incredibly overvalued player where even if Pablo Lopez needed Tommy John or thoracic outlet or whatever, his value is still skyrocketing tens of millions of dollars above the combined package heading to the Marlins to the Marlins here. Yeah. So what but does that no, look this like? only goes this only goes through if Lopez's medicals are cleared. Oh right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't know what else to say. I mean, I guess I guess the values here. Yeah. 
Uh, so so we got Lopez at 65.9. He's, he's a very good young pitcher, three years of control, pretty cheap. He's only going to make a couple million in arbitration this year. He's he's a uh, and there there is again there's a decent observation here by Jim that the Marlins they need some bats and they have rotation pieces to trade and it's not unreasonable that they would trade Lopez this off season. He just totally flops in the return here and it's very clear if you if you know us if you know our site if you've been using it much lately. Miguel Andujar zero. And Clint Frazier, zero. We have them both as non-tenders. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not going to fly. How how can you write this down in an article and not for even a second think that another team would beat this offer? Right. If if the Mar- And to your point, the Marlins have said publicly that they're willing to trade one of their starters because it's from a position of abundance and they've got you know more young starters coming up. They've got Trevor Rogers and Sixto Sanchez and Sandy Alcantara, and then they're just loaded with good starters, right? So, and they need an outfielder. So, you know, Jim tends to think around fits and doesn't think about valuation. He's just thinking, oh, they need an outfielder, Clint Frazier. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's not just about that. It's not just about fit. And so, if they're shopping Pablo Lopez, who is a legit number two starter, um, they're getting a lot of offers that are a lot better than this, uh, to say the least. Yeah, I, I just, it, what is, I, I'm lost for words. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've, this, this, when was this article uh, posted here? This was October 14th, so it's been almost, it's been nine going on ten days here since this article. I've been thinking about it like pretty much every day. Like it just pops back into my mind of like, he actually, he said that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I, I have half a mind to actually like um, track not only Bowden, but other guys who publish, you know, trade proposal articles like this and see the, how they actually do compared to reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, like one of the things that we do is we audit ourselves and say, how did we do? We post about it on Twitter. We admit it if we're off. We keep a log. We push it on our, post it on our sites. And you can look at our history section to see how well we've done. We put ourselves out there and we track how we do. These guys put up whatever garbage they're putting out and no one holds them accountable. So maybe we should. Maybe we actually should like keep a log of Jim's trade proposals and see how close to reality they actually came so that we can start to show people, hey, why are you reading this? This makes no sense. There's no credible. This is nothing you should even pay attention to realistically. Mm-hmm. Like this is literally like, like, like zooming back out of this this whole article here. He's proposing, okay, sign all the good players, all right, mm-hmm. which, I mean, you can say that the Yankees should do that every year, and you can be at least a little bit right, but you can also acknowledge that it's not going to happen. Uh, and then he's saying, all right, and, and you know all those players who had really bad seasons in 2021, and they've been frustrating, and they're kind of clogging up the roster right now? Trade them for all-stars. <laughs> But see, that's what it's, any any that easy. that's what any Joe Blow, Blow fan who calls into WFAN radio is going to say, yeah. too, right? I mean, like, how is Jim any better than that guy? But Jim, he should be so much better. <laughs> like, he's worked in the industry. He knows uh-huh. he'd get laughed. How does he not know he would get laughed off the phone for any of these offers? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, 
I don't think I can say much more here because it's it's just so obvious. And, and on the bright side here, this is one of those that I saw almost universally get shredded by in, in the comments here on the article, on Twitter. It, everyone's in agreement here that this is bonkers, that this is way, it's just thoughtless. So at least it seems like as as a baseball community, we've come to recognize the truly ridiculous, the Andujar for Trout who says no type things. Like <laughs> we, We've at least come around to that point. It's frustrating that it took us so long to get here because for the last three years, Yankees fans have been trying to trade Clint Frazier and Miguel Andujar and all these other guys for some of the best players in baseball and and somehow not caught a clue that, huh, if this hasn't happened yet, maybe that's because it can't. Exactly. But, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. It seems like we're finally at the end of the line here. Frazier and Andujar have finally, th- their general, the general public has agreed that their value has plummeted as much as it has. Oh, so they can't be our whipping boys anymore? Were we finally at the no. end of this? Oh. No, that's why that's why Voight and Torres and, and Herman are the next the next wave there. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, but on an, an aside here, nothing against any of the players themselves, obviously. And I mean, Clint Frazier, I saw a tweet from him a few weeks ago that this this off season he's going to be talking much more publicly about what went down with his concussions and, and saying some things that weren't said to the media or that were misreported by the media, those things I'm looking forward to hearing from him. There's a whole discussion we could have there about that, that, that the baseball world needs to have there about, you know, injuries and how they're handled by the media and especially concussions and what can be done to prevent them. Things like that. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm very, I'm rooting for Clint Frazier. And I mean, Miguel Andujar, he was a Rookie of the Year candidate his first year, and it's it's fun when guys like that can come back. But I mean, what's the difference between Miguel Andujar now and Chris Coglin a couple of years after after he won his Rookie of the Year? I mean, yeah, they fell off and got and Coglin didn't go anywhere again. I mean, he he had a little a brief spurt of life, and but but no matter any any point in his career after those first couple of years, he wasn't traded for. <laughs> A young stud starting pitcher. That that didn't happen. Yeah, no, the list is long of guys who are sort of one-hit wonders and then fall off, and that's because pitchers adjust to them. They're like, oh, I can get this guy out because he has tendencies. And they exploit those tendencies, and the guy doesn't adjust back, and then he's done. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening. And this is a case of that plus injuries plus a guy who already didn't really have a defensive home, and then after the injuries, even less so, and getting older. And there's, there's so many factors at play here. It's... It's shocking that Jim can't see any of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. However, we can we can wrap on one little silver lining here. His last one isn't that bad. Trade top right-handed pitching prospects Davey Garcia and Yoandres Gomez, along with catcher Gary Sanchez, to the Chicago Cubs in exchange for catcher Wilson Contreras. The values here are much, much closer. Still off, but much closer. We have Contreras at a flat 14 in trade value. He's a rental. And Garcia at 3.9, Gomez at 6.8, Sanchez at 0 as a non-tender candidate. So it lines up 14 to 10.7. Still a bit of a gap there, but at least yeah. we're on the right track. Our simulator would accept that, actually. Yeah. And and I'm not sure where Jim's coming from here, but I just know Davey Garcia, his, his stock has fallen quite a bit, right? So that's yeah. part of the reason Jim may not be aware of that. Jim may be thinking, oh, yeah. this is a big overpay, but no, it's not. 
yeah, that, that, that's my thought. My initial thought when I saw this and, and realized it was a little short was like, oh, maybe he's overvaluing Sanchez, like he's been doing with all these other non-tendered candidates. But then he says they can use, uh, the Cubs, can use Sanchez for a year, non-tender him, or trade him. And so if he's he's acknowledging that Sanchez is a non-tender candidate here, so... Yeah, but it's weirdly non-committal. Like, oh, he's not yeah. tender, or he can trade that supply. One one suggests he doesn't have any value, or his negative value. The other one suggests he does. So, like, which is it? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. No. <laughs> uh, but uh, at least there's there's a bit of a logic here. I mean, yes, the the Cubs are collecting prospects, and and Garcia and Gomez. That's a couple of decent ones to add to the collection. I mean, you could argue they need to throw in a, another one there to to yeah. cover that value or replace Garcia with someone whose stock hasn't fallen as much, but there's a logic there. And yes, the Yankees need an upgrade at catcher on both sides of the ball. Contreras is, is a good option for that, really one of the only good yeah. options for that. He's going to be pretty sought after this, this offseason. Yep. And then Sanchez, I mean, the Cubs have no reason not to take a chance on a guy like that. It, whether you stick him behind the plate, whether you let him play first base, or if they get the DH, you let him hit there and just raise his value as much as he can and flip him at the deadline, something like that. There's no reason for the Cubs not to do that. So right. I, I don't hate this one. Good job, Jim. You went one for three. If we're, if we're ignoring those first two points, there you go. I agree. <laughs> All right. That's enough of that for now. Uh, we do have, as I mentioned, um, that Yankees article that John wrote that he said he would write um, <laughs> before this week. Uh, when we talked about the Yankees at length last time. So we don't want to dwell too long on it because we, we recognize that it's kind of turned into Yankee Central here the last couple of weeks. It's just, you know, the playoffs are going on and the Yankees were eliminated and they're a very, even taking the Yankeesness out of it, they're in a really interesting spot here. Um, so I, we feel like we need to cover them now. We won't be covering them. <laughs> they, they won't, this won't turn into a Yankees podcast long-term. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'll go ahead and let John just kid on any of the key points here from this article that he wants to touch on. So the problem is, as any Yankee fans know, is they have a lot of holes to fill. Um, they've got Aaron Judge in his prime. And they've got Garrett Cole in his prime. They've only got Judge for one more year. So the clock's ticking there. And, you know, Yankee fans are kind of like itching for a championship because it's been a while for them. So, look, here's the thing. They've already kind of wiggled their way around you know, by staying under the luxury tax, they've tried to compete, didn't quite fly. They've traded from the middle tier of their farm, didn't quite get them there. So now they're kind of stuck. <clears throat> they really only have two options. They either blow through the luxury tax and sign Carlos Correa and whoever else and, and go way beyond the luxury tax. Or they can trade, you know, from the top of their farm. There's really three top prospects that they could trade that have real significant value. Um, and so those are the approaches they can take. Uh, the problem is none of those are um, like easy solutions. They're going to hurt uh, because this ownership, um, and you know, Hal Steinbrenner is not his dad. He's not going to just, you know, go checkbook crazy like his dad did. He wants to kind of have a sustainable model, as does Brian Cashman. So that's why they stayed under the luxury tax, because they don't like being penalized. If they So I sort of posited, OK, what would it take? They would... You know, if they if they signed Carlos Correa and started Marte and Robbie Ray and re-signing Rizzo, they'd already be way over, like 90 million over the luxury tax, which would cause them a huge amount of taxes on the overage and a draft pick penalty and move them down 10 slots in the order. Like they probably don't want to do that. Um, so the other option is they can trade from the top of their farm, which they have not wanted to do either in their last few trades in the last year or so. 
getting Tyone and Rizzo and Gallo. They've been trading to the middle. So now they'd have to go really where it hurts. Their top three are Anthony Volpe, Oswald Peraza, and Jason Dominguez. Those guys would have to be what it would take to get a Matt Olson, or if they wanted to really reach for like a Brian Reynolds or a Cedric Mullins, you know, guys like that, you know, those teams would be asking for those those top three prospects, either in two combination two or three, or one of those guys is the lead with a few secondaries in sort of the next tier. So that's gonna hurt as well. So they're gonna blow out their luxury, blow out their budget, or they're gonna blow out their farm. Um, there's there's a third way where they kind of mix and match, but it's not really going to fly. It's a bit of a whack-a-mole game. They try to save money by trading Torres and Voigt and Gallo, maybe. But that's not going to really save them a whole lot of money. And they're sort of back to, well, if they've traded Gallo, then they need another left fielder. So they're really stuck in the same position. And oh, by the way, I make the point that we just made, which is they're not trading Frazier for anything or Andujar or Sanchez or anything. Or God forbid Aaron Hicks, who's undervalued by $32 million, according to our model. I'm sorry, underwater by 32 million. So no one wants any of those guys, basically. So don't even go there. Um, so they can only trade the top prospects in a couple of secondaries or blow through the luxury tax. So what's it going to be? Pick your poison. That's where they're at. Yeah, I think that's a great assessment of it that a lot of people are missing here. I think the the takeaway of this from a, stand, uh, a fan's point of view here, a fan standpoint, is temper expectations a bit they are in a spot where they can't do everything or at least are very, very unlikely to do so. They can, they could blow past the luxury tax and trade their prospects. And that's what a lot of fans I'm sure are, are really demanding here. But we've, we've seen no precedent there from any team, let alone the Yankees of doing anything like that. That's just not how it works. And they want to build a sustainable winner. That's, that's the common catchphrase in baseball these days. And that's not the way to do it. You don't build a sustainable winner by spending all your money and trading all your best prospects. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. So they could do either of those things. They're very unlikely to. And so the more reasonable expectation is they're going to move some pieces around, find a way to get their budget, at least maybe if it's not under the tax, but at least under one of the higher thresholds there. And so they can add a free agent or two, one or two of the bigger ones, maybe make a smart trade or two, get out from a little bit of money here and there move some of their whatever mid-tier prospects they have left they don't have many but move some of the davy garcia yoandres gomez types mm -hmm. and see what they have at that point and, and kind of roll into the next season with the same sort of mindset as they did this season and hope for some mid uh, some deadline additions where they you know give up a little bit more talent in exchange for having the entire contract eat it seems like that's really their most likely approach here. And, and I could be way off. Maybe they did get approval and maybe they're going to be start hanging out, handed out a blank checks here like they used to, but I just don't think that's likely. Yeah. So, I mean, look, from a fan's point of view, it's not their money. So what do they care? Yeah. You know, so they, yeah, sure. Blow through the luxury tax. It's not my money. Or, you know, a lot of fans don't follow the prospect list. So yeah, sure. Great guys. I've never heard of. Well, what do I care? I just want a good major league team for a while. So, you know, there's that. Um, but the front office guys, this is really aimed at them. This is like, we know we're in a bind and we got to pick one of these directions. So it's not going to be pretty. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, on that note, let's transition into our, I promise, I absolutely promise our last Yankees coverage of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, it's a, this one's not even our fault. It's not from us. It's a Yankees athletics featured trade of the week submitted by user 
MTLN. So this one would send, as we were discussing before, Matt Olson to the New York Yankees at $45.3 million in trade value, as well as left-handed reliever A.J. Puck at $0.5 million in exchange for outfield prospect Jason Dominguez at 25, uh, Luke Voigt, first baseman, as we mentioned, at 3.1, Austin Wells, catching prospect at 9.3, Ken Waldachuk, left-handed pitcher, left-handed pitching prospect at 3.2, and I am loading the page because I do not know this person's first name, Trey Sweeney, shortstop prospect at 7.3. So that's a big package there for the A's, and it comes out to 47.9, just a little bit over the 45.8 they're sending to New York. Um, so this one has gotten sort of mixed reviews on the Yankees side and, and not as positive reviews on Oakland's side. Uh, but what is, what's your take here? Because I don't hate it, I don't think, uh, from, from either perspective, really. Yeah, and that's that's why I thought it was interesting to feature, because we've been talking a lot about, you know, hypothetical metals into uh, New York trade. So here's one option. And, and to my earlier point about what it would take, it would take one of the top three prospects as a lead. So here in this case, it's Dominguez. Okay. He's got serious tools, um, but he was also a little bit disappointing in his first professional debut here. So um, his stock has fallen just a hair, but he's still very young and who he could just blow into the next superstar. So there's plenty of upside still, which is why he's at 25. Um, Austin Wells, middle tier prospect, um, sure. Um, the A's don't really need another catcher because they've got uh, Sean Murphy, but they could use a second catcher because all teams need two catchers. So it's not the perfect one, but if you're throwing a secondary, he's got some upside, sure. Uh, Trey Sweeney was their uh, most recent draft pick. He's a shortstop prospect. They would probably need another shortstop prospect, but if they're going to blow it up, you know, they're, they're going to be in the talent accumulation game. So, okay. Waldachuk is a you know a, a pitching prospect with some issues but also some a little bit of upside so sure and Voigt is just a replacement for uh Olsen to fill the gap until somebody else arrives so it's not terrible it's probably not the ideal package but it's an example it's mostly featured here as an example of what it would take you know for Matt Olson to come to the Yankees mm-hmm. and I, I like framing it like that a lot because I don't think this is something that would necessarily happen um, just because it seems like whether whether it is from a Yankees valuation perspective or just from a PR hit fear perspective, I don't think Dominguez is going anywhere. I think he was just so hyped up as you know the next <laughs> the next Tatis or Soto or just the next huge international prospect who oh my goodness look at how big this guy is and he's 16 and blah 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 blah. I, I don't think and he's got the nickname already and <laughs> I just don't think. Uh, I don't think they're going to move him, whether it is for those just the reasons that his upside are so high or just that the PR hit would be so bad or a combination of both. Um, So I think he's unlikely to go anywhere. And then I believe I remember seeing a report from the deadline this year that Ken Walichuk was a name that a lot of teams asked about and the Yankees refused on. Uh, He was kind of a, a sleeper prospect this season. And, you know, you look at the ERA, it's not super pretty, but he struck out a ton of batters this season. He, took a big step forward and is, is kind of a real prospect now. Um, and he's almost MLB ready. So that's a piece that's a little harder for them to deal with, uh, to, to move at this point. But just from, from the A's perspective, I think if they decide their best course of action is to, you know, pull a 2015 where they shuffle pieces around and say, maybe we can contend, but that's not the focus right now. 
then this makes a lot of sense. You know, 2015 is when they traded Donaldson, and in, in the return, they got Brett Laurie, with their thinking being, all right, it's going to be a downgrade from Donaldson to Laurie, but not a huge monumental downgrade, and then we can pick up that slack and these other young talent young talents that we're picking up here obviously didn't work at all but they kind of had that same mentality with all of their trades i mean Mm -hmm. they traded jeff samarja for chris bassett and marcus Semyon and josh fegley and they were all mlb ready basically Mm -hmm. uh, and immediate contributors and then even later in that offseason they traded uh, a couple of their current prospects at the Mm -hmm. time to the rays for ben zobrist and so you could tell they at least a little bit wanted to contend there um I, I wouldn't be super surprised by something along those lines this offseason, and I think if that's the direction they take, this makes sense, because they get that stopgap in Voight where, you know, if he if he does, like as as Jim Bowden thinks he will, bounce back, then, yeah, that's three years of a pretty solid first-base DH type. If, if he doesn't bounce back all the way, you know, he's either a non-tender or a trade candidate or whatever whatever they want to do with him. It's not a horrible replacement for Olsen. It's certainly better than their internal options right now. So I, I don't hate it from that perspective, but it, it, just, it depends, A, on which direction the, uh, the A's decide to go in this offseason. They're at a really pivotal spot. You already wrote about them a few weeks back. And then, B, if the Yankees are really willing to move on from Dominguez. Yeah, and one of the sort of underlying points here is that void is a throw-in in this one he's not the main yeah. return like Bowden was you know probably thinking um he's yeah uh, he's one of five here um mm-hmm. you know i like i said i don't i don't love it for oakland but i don't hate it either um i wouldn't if if it happened in reality i would think eh, okay he's got a haul it's fair um and the yankees i mean obviously olsen would thrive in oakland and uh, new york with that short porch and his left-handed bat, power bat, man, imagine the homers he would hit there. Uh, but of course, he is also um, another one of those <laughs> TTO types that they have so many of. At least he's a left-handed guy, but he can walk. He, you know, he's, he takes smart at bats. Obviously, he's a great fielder, so he's he's the complete package. And he he would be beloved in New York. He would get he would yeah. get a lot of media attention, a lot of fan love. So I can see it from their point of view. He's got the hair, he's got the smile, and he Good actually cut guy. down. His, yeah. yeah, and he cut down on his strikeout rate considerably yeah. last season. Absolutely. So if he continue, if he keeps those gains, that makes him very, very attractive. I mean, yeah. 2019, he was striking out 25% of the time. 2020, that ballooned up to 31%. That was the worst season of his career. And then this season, or this past season, 2021, he cut it all the way down to 16.8, almost in half, and that would probably rank among the lowest on the Yankees if I had to just guess off the top of my yeah, head. So. Yeah, and kudos to him because he's got, you know, he changed his swing a few years ago to really make himself a, a, a prominent major leaguer and that changed everything. And then he changed yeah. his approach with two point, you know, with the strikeout issue. So he is always looking to make adjustments, make himself better. Great character guy. You know, fans would love him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one last point from the A's perspective. We've discussed how shallow their farm is right now how depleted it is yeah this would revitalize it it's it's nice to get a package like this where you get a true headliner in dominguez mm-hmm. and then two very solid prospects in sweeney and wells mm-hmm. plus one of those more lottery ticket sleeper types in Waldachuk. i mean mm-hmm. that just all four of those guys immediately rank in their top 10 prospects and that's not something you know top 10 lists whoever who cares but it just if they're going to revitalize their farm, it is this kind of a return that they'll yeah. want to get back. Yeah, you'd want some quality at the top, uh, but also some quantity. So it's both in that regard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, so thank you for the submission, MTLN, even if it's not 
a perfect trade or if there are some issues with it, it's a, it's a good framework. And as you mentioned before, it's a good example of what a guy like Olsen would actually cost the Yankees, mm-hmm. not, not just a bunch of spare parts. Um, all right, now second trade of the week, and then I think we'll be wrapping the episode. So this one is from Big Bat, and I don't like this one as much. <laughs> I really don't like this one at all. It's interesting. It's going to be fun to talk about it. I don't like it. So in this deal, the Guardians, would, Cleveland Guardians, would acquire third baseman Cabrian Hayes, who we have at $61.9 million in trade value, from the Pittsburgh Pirates in exchange for uh, second baseman Tyler Freeman at 248 third baseman Nolan Jones at 22.5, and outfielder George Valera at 21.4. So that adds up to 68.7. And again, compared to the 61.9, headed to the Guardians. I'm not a fan. So um, I I think I know where you're coming from on this, but let me just sort of, there's pros and cons with this one. So I'm, yeah, I'm listening. Okay. (laughs) So, and and by the way, Big Bad, I believe, is a Cleveland fan. So factor that in as well um so i wrote about the cleveland uh guardians roster crunch they need to move uh they need to consolidate they've got too many prospects coming and not enough room for them in their 40 so they'd be at risk of losing some of them in the rule five draft so i think that's where he's coming from he's like how can i consolidate three prospects into one quality um you know uh bat and so that's why freeman jones and valera are here um that's the pro uh, the other pro is Hayes obviously is a, you know, super talented third baseman who looks like the full package, both fielding and hitting. Although he had a little bit of a disappointment, standing, like wasn't quite as good as his debut last year, but still he's 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 really up there. Um, the con is well they don't need him because they've got Jose Ramirez unless this is precursor to another trade that would be moving Jose Ramirez, or maybe Ramirez moves across to second base or they figure something else out. It's not a great fit because Hayes is a really good third baseman. He's a better defensive third baseman than Ramirez, but where are you going to put Ramirez is the obvious question. Mm -hmm. And by the way, don't the Guardians need an outfielder? So why wouldn't you consolidate for an outfielder as opposed to a third baseman? And oh, by the way, why are you trading George Valera, your best outfield prospect in this deal? Yeah. So so that's what I don't like about it. Other than that, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So my main issue is that I don't see it for the Pirates because we've talked about how they've been picking up quantity over quality in a lot of their recent trades. So yes, the Guardians have a pretty big roster crunch right now, and this makes sense for them to consolidate some assets, but the Pirates are going to have a similar crunch in a year or two, it seems like. Maybe you don't want to project out that far because, you know, they're young prospects, and if half of them bust, then, oh, look, there's no crunch anymore. Mm -hmm. But they've just acquired a lot of these guys on purpose, and they, they expect them to be a big part of the organization's plans in the future they're not going to immediately acquire three guys that could push those guys out of roster spots down the road. That, that, that doesn't seem logical to them. So from that perspective, I don't like it. Um, and then, as you mentioned, from the Cleveland roster spit roster fit perspective, I don't like it either. I mean, Hayes has to be a third baseman. Yeah. You, you don't want to screw around with, with a glove that good. So he's, he's playing third base. And then, yeah, if you are, moving Jose Ramirez to second base. Okay, well, a big part of your <laughs> Guardians article was about the logjam of infielders they yeah, have, and now right. you need to trade, you know. I mean, I guess moving Freeman helps resolve that a little bit in this deal, but you still got a whole bunch of guys that are either on the big league roster or need to be protected that are mm-hmm. middle infielders, so you got to find something to do with 
Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario and maybe a couple other guys, mm -hmm. Ernie Clements, uh, guys like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just creating a logjam there. Or if you are trading Jose Ramirez, what are you trading him for? Mm -hmm. You're probably trading him for three or four prospects. And, and look, unless you... Unless you're trading him specifically for guys who are farther down the road, don't need to be protected. In which case, seems like a weird, a weird path to take. You know, <laughs> oh, we're going to trade Ramirez for these young guys because we think we're a couple years out, but we're also going to trade some young guys who are going to be ready in a couple years for Hayes, who's good now. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Well put. Yeah. <laughs> it's either that or you're trading them for guys who also need to be protected. So, a lot yeah. of moving parts here. This it feels like a video game trade. Like yeah. I, I could see it, somebody doing this in OTP or the show or whatever, and it works for them there. Uh, but it, it, I don't see, I don't see the logic for it for either team beyond the first initial step of, yeah, Pirates get three really talented prospects because they their line their window doesn't perfectly line up with Hayes, and oh, the Guardians consolidate some of their Rule Five crunch. I think the, the uh, domino effect for both teams isn't positive yeah and i would add i probably should have mentioned this right at the top um you know pittsburgh's not trading brian hayes he's their star yeah. that they need to build around right i mean he's like finally we got one okay he's not going anywhere um mm -hmm. and he's he's got more control than uh than even brian reynolds does so um like that's the guy you build around and so yeah it's hard even, even though um you could maybe argue that they could still use a few more prospects just to be sure um, I think you make a great point that they may be done with their accumulation phase and now they're going to enter into, okay, let's consolidate the quality phase. Um, that's probably a year away. But who knows with Pittsburgh though, because they don't really know what they got in, in all those accumulation trades. They're still figuring that out, I think. So, but, but I, I, I think you're right. They may not want to pile on yet three more. So yeah. And they don't, I, they probably don't want to move Hayes. So yeah, I agree. If anything, this is getting too cute. Yeah. If you're really going to make a big push as the Guardians and and consolidate some of this talent, throw in another piece and get Reynolds instead. That fits your roster better, and it fits... Yeah. I mean, the Pirates still have kind of an issue down the road of where to fit all these players, but that is less pressing, and, and at least they're not trading, you know, long-term franchise cornerstone. Instead, they're, they're trading guy who's kind of been, you know... In the trade rumors lately, he has a year less of control than Hayes. It's I still don't, I'm still not sure they will trade Reynolds just off of how good of a year he just had and how high his value is right now. I don't know how many teams are going to meet that price, yeah. but I think even that makes a lot more sense than this. Although they traded for Miles Straw and they seem to love him in center, so why would they need another center fielder? So they probably yes. need more you know, the corner guys, right? So, um, yeah, all right. So, but the point is, this is probably not the perfect fit for either team. Yeah, agreed. Okay. All right. I think uh, that's all we had planned for today. Do you have anything else you want to touch on? Want to say? Um, just that I, I should probably add that we're um, we did a another round of valuation updates and we're almost done. By the time you guys, we will be done. So have at it, folks. We're done. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Okay. This was this was a fun one. It went a little longer than I expected, but I think it was uh, some good stuff. Mm -hmm. So. That'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. 
be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the rest of the postseason. Enjoy the World Series. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.